And I want you to do something. Put one hand on your ear and one hand on your heart. That should be both hands, one in one place and one in the other. And say after me, Lord Jesus, open my ear to you this morning. I want to hear from your word. And may it touch my heart. I open my heart to your word. Change my life. Make me different this morning. I want to bring you glory in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may sit down. And I hope that you meant that prayer uh, when you prayed it, because we want to see what God is going to do in our lives today. Now, if you were here last week, you will know that this is actually part two of a two-part sermon, as Antonia said. And last week, we were looking in the book of Acts in chapter 16. And so I'm going to just start by reading that out to us again this morning. And it's the story of Paul and Silas and a young lady that they come across uh, in their ministry. And starting from verse 16, this is what it says. Now it happened... As we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination or a spirit of python met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. And then The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosened. Hallelujah. It's a great story. And if you want to hear the end of it and what happened to the jailer and his family and you don't remember from last week, you can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 16. So what we said last week, we had a little bit of a kind of I don't know, a natural history lesson about how pythons work. And we had a little bit of a kind of um, historical lesson. And I explained to you that there's a place in Greece called Delphi where this woman who was called an oracle or a pythia resided. And you can hear that on the message. By the way, all the sermons in IHC get put online. If you ever can't be here and you want to catch up, they are all online. And uh, I'm not sure if that makes me feel better or not. But anyway, it's, it's great to be able to catch up. And uh, we talked about that, and we talked about how pythons are interesting snakes. And we said they don't have any venom in them. They can't poison people, but they wrap themselves around people and suffocate them. 
and they kill them by squeezing the breath out of them. And we said how in Acts 16, this is the only place in the whole book of Acts where a spirit is actually named. And Paul speaks to this spirit of Python that he sees operating in this girl's life. And the spirit of Python works by trying to squeeze the spiritual life out of us. We have to be aware there's an enemy out there. There is an enemy, and he's wanting to squeeze the spiritual life out of you. That's his prime goal in life, to stop you breathing in the breath of God and to stop you flourishing and growing as a Christian. And that's his job in life, to try and do that to you. And so we want to be wise to this. And today, we're going to look at some of the things that we can do to thwart his strategy. Amen? Well, just before we go on, last week, we identified seven things that were like symptoms, if you like, that alert you to the fact that your life might be under an attack from this kind of spirit, this spirit of python that wants to squeeze the life out of you. And so look, there's some prizes here, but you're not allowed to look in your notes. You've got to remember without looking in your notes. And if you want to come up and tell me one of those seven things, form an orderly cue in front of me here. Oh, he, lis- he wasn't here and he listened to my message. He's okay, there's only two, there's, uh, there's seven. Come on, everybody. Clive, what would you like to vote for first? A lack attack. Stay in the queue and think of another one. A lack attack. When circumstances seem just without any good reason, our finances come under pressure. Things break down when they shouldn't. And uh, there's no... Um, explanation for it, but the the enemy is putting us under pressure in that area of our life. Thank you. That's good disciple. (laughs) Come on, Nathan, what would you like to suggest? Uh, Isn't there a thing about one where you don't read your Bible, you look at your Bible and you're like, hmm, I don't think I'll do it today. Okay, who remembers what we called that one? A lack of spiritual desire, just not really feeling like you can be bothered. There you go. Now, you, what would you like to suggest? This is, this is worrying, isn't it? Because you don't know. You, yeah, you should have run up quicker. You should have run up quicker. Okay, fatigue. We said when we're tired, the enemy can get uh, and affect our lives and try to squeeze that spiritual life out of us. Oh, no. Pulling away from godly relationships was the seventh one. Yes. When we don't want to be with other Christians, when we don't want to be with people who are following God, and we we just haven't quite got that same zeal to be at our cell group or at meetings, that can be a sign that our lives are under an attack. You're being very brave here. Look, there's still three here, guys. Oh, (laughs) oh well, there might if if someone there's one. Some of you are going to have it. Come along, Jess. Weak prayer life. Oh, Karis, sorry. You can stay. You might think of another one. Weak prayer life. We don't find that place of prayer. Thank you, Jess, whose birthday it was this week, by the way. Andy Charlton. I'm I'm offering it him, but he hasn't said anything yet. I'm just having a look here. There's two more left. And somebody's cheating over there. I'm sure they are. What would you like to suggest? Well, there's two caveats. One is that I'm up just to get the chocolate for Antonio. The second thing that is that I wasn't in at the start, but I'm going to go for return to old ways of life and old habits. Yes. Oh, sorry, Rice. You should have come a bit quicker. Old habits and lifestyles start to pull us back 
and uh, tempt us. Oh, Mel, you're so brave. No, you won't, because I'm going to help you. Okay. Just talk amongst yourselves. Yes! Yeah. Overwhelmed. Yes! <laughs> Feeling overwhelmed and that the circumstances are surrounding you and that you just want to give up on it all, okay? Yes, thank you to all those people who helped us to um, revise last week there. Seven symptoms that can suggest that our life is under an attack from this kind of spirit. Loss of spiritual desire, physical fatigue, a lack attack, weak prayer life, feeling overwhelmed and hopeless, Old habits and lifestyles resurfacing and pulling away from godly relationships. And I'm very appreciative to a guy called Jensen Franklin, who's a pastor in the States, who has written a book in which he goes through those points. So what's the solution? What are we going to do? Well, first of all, we said last week, we need to be aware of these things. And we've got to wake up. Say after me. Wake up. So wake up to the tactics of the enemy and spot what he's trying to do. And once you realize what's happening in your life, once you see that there is an enemy out to pull you off track and take you out of the purposes of God for your life, you've got to do something. You've got to make a decision, put down a mark and say, I'm not having this in my life. Say to the person next to you, I'm not having this in my life. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I've seen what's going on here. My eyes have been opened. I'm, I've understood something. And I'm not going to let the enemy suffocate the spiritual life out of me. Do you want to say that with me? Uh, yes. Ready? I'm not going to let the enemy suffocate the spiritual life out of me. You've just said something really powerful there. We've had a morning of declaring things out in the presence of God. And that is a powerful thing to say. So I'm going to tell you five things from uh, Jensen Franklin's preaching that will help you when you come under this kind of attack and then add something else as well that I think is really important. First of all, let me say this. The enemy doesn't win. If you read the book, he doesn't win. Christ wins. Christ won on the cross. He defeated all the principalities, all the powers, all the work of the enemy. He defeated those things on the cross. But we've got to get a hold of that and live like we really believe it. We've got to get a hold of it in our own lives. Actually, I heard uh, a preacher called Bob Mumford once say, well, did you know the enemy has no teeth? This is what Bob Mumford said. Did you know the enemy has no teeth, but he can sure gum you pretty bad? <laughs> so he's still trying to get you, even though he hasn't got the legal rights over your life anymore. But if you want to break the enemy's attack in your life, something we learned from Pastor Barney is this. You need to come in the opposite spirit. You need to come in the different spirit to the one that's coming against you. It works for all sorts of things in life. So if someone's coming against you and they're, um, you know, you're, you're getting into a situation there's a lot of anger about, maybe, I don't know, and it could be at work or wherever, come in the opposite spirit. Come in a spirit of reconciliation, in a spirit of peace. Whatever it is, come in the opposite spirit to the one that's, that you're facing if you want to get a breakthrough. But here are the five things. Number one, if you're taking notes, remember who made you. 
Remember who made you. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, Clive was speaking and he said, you are awesome because you're made in God's image. Every one of us is awesome. God has made us in his image and he has a destiny for us and a purpose for our lives. And once we give our lives to him, it changes everything. We're not, we're nothing in ourselves. We're just little lumps of clay. But once God, by his Holy Spirit, comes into our lives, it changes everything. And we're made in his image. He wants you to succeed. God wants you to succeed. He's not like some headmaster watching when you're late in the gate at school without your homework or a policeman trying to catch you speeding down Barrett Road again. Um, He's not like that. He wants you to succeed. And we sing a song on Sundays. I love it. When the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me and your love never fails. God's love never fails. He is on your side. Psalm 92 verse 12 says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. I don't know if you've ever thought about the difference between a palm tree and an oak tree. We have rather more oak trees in England than we do palm trees, unfortunately. But if you go to Miami or you go to... I don't know if you've been watching the news this week in the Philippines where there's been a terrible hurricane come upon that country and there's been a lot of damage to buildings and all sorts of things. But if you watch the footage, the palm trees just bend over in the face of the storm and then they come back up again when the wind has passed whereas oak trees in our nation down they go they are felled by a wind and God is saying righteous people flourish like a palm tree you may feel bent over by your circumstances but you can you're going to come back you're going to get through it you will survive have faith in God now the other thing people sometimes think is that God is like a bit of a benevolent Father Christmas. So if they don't think he's a teacher or, or a policeman, they think he's a sort of Father Christmas just waiting to deliver to you the things that you want in life. Well, if you think like that, I would like to bring a little kind of twiddle adjustment to you. God is not at work bringing about the circumstances that you want in your life. He's not, that's not what he is about. God is at work in your circumstances to bring about the you that he wants. I'm going to say that again so you can absorb it. God is not sitting there in heaven bringing about the circumstances and situations in your life that you want He's right there in your circumstances and situations, but he wants to bring about the you that he wants. He's changing you to make you more like him. He wants you to be more holy and more like Jesus. You're made in his image. Remember who made you. When you come under a, a python attack that's squeezing, trying to squeeze the spiritual life out of you, remember God has made you and he wants to make you more like him. And you can be that palm tree. You will get through. Amen? Second, remember your time and place of prayer. 
We said one of the symptoms of coming under a spiritual attack was having a weak prayer life. Well, if you don't have a time and place for prayer in your life, you will be less and less likely to meet with Jesus consistently. It's just how it is. Um, I've read lots of things about this. Um, I've, I stand here and say I've struggled over the years because I've done shift work, and it's always very hard when those of you who do shift work to find a regular time that's always going to be right for you and to pray and so on. And, um, but the Bible says when you pray, when you come into God's presence, when you, do, you seek his face, that's when the heavens are opened. Um, some people do have special places where they pray. I've heard lots of people, uh, we know a wonderful pastor in Canada called Ron McLean, and if you go out into the wood near his home, there are two trees, and in between these trees, there's actually a rut worn in the ground where he walks up and down every day in his time of prayer, calling out to God and seeking God. He's worn a rut in the ground. Some people have a special chair. When we buy a house, I always like to think, where am I going to be comfy in this house praying that's going to be my spot to pray. Has anybody here got a special place where they pray? Doug has a special place. Doug, tell us about your special place. Just where it is. You don't have to. Just where is it? It's not quite as exciting as a forest. It's in my kitchen. There you go. In his kitchen. That's where Doug meets with God every day. Nathan, what were you going to say? His bed. That's a tricky one. You have to sit up, I think, in that one. <laughs> it does say in the Bible, when I meditate in the night watches, David knows what it is to pray to God in his bed. But, uh, yeah, I would have to not be too uh, horizontal on that one. Anybody else got a special place? The left-hand side of his three-seater sofa. Hey, listen, if you haven't got a special place, I would really recommend you get a special place where you know that you can come into the presence of God. A special time. And um, I read this as well, and it was, it was a shame, but I have to pass it on to you. In a big survey of lots and lots of Christian leaders, um, this guy reckoned that people who tried to have their regular time of prayer late at night were least likely to succeed. Kind of first, the, the verdict was the morning is better. <laughs> Sorry to tell you that, but if you if you want to get through, if you want to break this spirit in your life, I'm trying to give you help today. Some things you can do that will help you. And finding a regular place to pray and a regular time to pray will help you. Now, if you don't feel like praying because you're coming under that attack and you're just not feeling like it, don't worry. If you've got a place where you pray, just go to it. Just go to it and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm feeling all over the place. I don't know what to pray. I don't know where to start. But I'm here because I want to meet with you. And you can go to that place where you know you felt God's presence. It's a precious thing to be able to do. And if you don't know what to pray, start with thankfulness. Be thankful. Start to say, thank you, God. You know in the Psalms it says, come into his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. And somebody once said, uh, this is a quote, I can't remember, it's written in my journal, but I don't know who said it. it. Thankfulness is a secret passage into a room you can't find any other way. Isn't that lovely? Like getting into Narnia or something like that. Thankfulness is a secret passage into a room that you can't get into any other way. So, remember your time and place of prayer. Next thing, remember the place of power. What does that mean? Well, when the church 
gathers together, it's a place of power. When we gather together, it's a place of power. Now, the church, you understand, Pastor Barney always taught us, the church isn't the building. He tried to train us to always say, I'm going to the church building, just to differentiate between um, the bricks and, and the windows and the doors and the people. The people are the church. You're the church. I'm the church. We're the church. Say to the person next to you, you're the church. It's not the bricks and the mortar. This is the church building that we are really thankful to be able to meet in. We are thankful that we have a new roof. We're thankful for all sorts of things. But the church is us, and there is a strength when we gather together in the presence of God. If you read the Bible, there are lots and lots of one another scriptures, lots and lots of together scriptures. Now, here's something. Some of you may have heard um, Pastor Cesar speaking uh, uh, He's a pastor from Bogota in Colombia and uh, now mostly ministering in Miami and all around the world, really. But I've heard him say, when God is sort of trying to prompt you to do something and you feel you don't want to do it, well, just do it all the more. So he says, when you, you're, you know, it's the offering time and you hear this little voice and you think, oh, that's the Holy Spirit maybe telling me to give more than I intended. And you, you, wanna, um, you, you don't want to do that. Um, you have to say to the voice that's saying no, shut up or I'm going to give even more. And it's like that about gathering together. If your life is coming under a spiritual attack, the first thing you'll start to hear is, oh, it's a bit too much effort to get to church this week. There's loads of other things I could be doing. And oh, I, I, I can't go to cell. I've just got in from work. Well, say to yourself, shut up or I'll go even quicker to the meeting. I'll go even sooner to the meeting. I'll stay even later. Shut up. I'm not going to receive this attack on my life because it is really important to be together. It's a place of power and strength for us. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10, well, or whoever wrote Hebrews in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So when we come together, we're not just here to receive, we're here to encourage one another. Every one of us can encourage someone who has walked through that door this morning. And that's what God wants us to do together. There is a place of power when we come together. So remember the place of power when your life is coming under a spiritual attack. And here's the other thing that happens if you sort of drift off the edges a little bit and you don't come to church as much as you do. Your set square or your plumb line goes off skew a little bit. Do you understand what I mean? Um, I'll tell you a story. It's from a long, long time ago when Clive and I were in the church in Oxford. And I remember Mary Norwich taking me to see a girl in the church there who was wanting some counsel because she didn't feel very close to God. She didn't, hadn't um, been in the meetings very much, and she, various things were happening. She said, whenever I come to church, I don't, I don't really feel the presence of God in my life. And she was worried about this. But when we began to talk to her, what actually was happening was that, that there was some sin in her life. It was a relational thing with her boyfriend. There was sin in her life. And when she didn't come to church, she felt fine about that. But when she came to church, she was coming under a conviction and feeling, oh, goodness, um, I can't feel the presence of God because she needed to deal with the sin in her life. But when you get out of the place of power, you can kind of gloss over those things and you can kind of say, oh, it doesn't really matter. And slowly, 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 you're walking. I don't want to fall over here. You're walking backward out of God's presence. You've gone ever so quiet. Are you still with me? 
Being together is really a precious thing. We're so blessed that we can gather freely in our nation and nobody is stopping us and nobody is imprisoning us and nobody is beating us up. We can be together. Let's not um, take that lightly. Let's enjoy it and thank God for it. So remember the place of power. What's those first three things I've said? Remember who made you. Remember your time and place of prayer. Remember the place of power. And the fourth thing is remember the power of partnership. That's interesting. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Now, you often hear this preached on at a wedding. It's kind of one of those texts that crops up every now and then at a wedding as these two people are making their promise before God and getting married. But listen, this isn't just about marriage. It's not just about people getting married. We can help each other. Two people are better than one. We can help each other succeed. If someone falls, the other can help. That's what we're supposed to do, not just kind of look down at the person on the ground who's fallen. We're supposed to help them get back up, help our brother, help our sister to go on in God. And let me say this, be wise about picking your friends and who you spend your time with. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. That means somebody who's doing well in God is going to inspire and motivate and help somebody else who wants to do well and succeed in God. Don't blunt somebody. Don't be responsible for blunting someone's life in God. Be someone who sharpens someone's life in God, who encourages them and who uh, pushes them on in God. When you're under attack, don't surround yourself with people who are going to drain you and people who are going to drag you down further. Get among some people who will encourage you and speak life to you. I just want to say something. uh, um, I'm going to talk about a six-letter word that we don't talk about very much in church. I don't know when I last heard a sermon on this, but I'm going to just mention it under this heading of the power of partnership. And the six-letter word, I wonder if you can, if I read you out a definition, if you would guess what this word is. I don't have a prize anymore. I'm going to read you out a definition, and you can tell me what you think this six-letter word that we should never hear in church is. I'll let you say it just today, all right? Just once you can come and say it. Here is the meaning of this six-letter word. Casual or unrestrained conversation or reports. Oh, I'm going to keep reading and then you can all agree at the end if you didn't hear what they said. Casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details which are not confirmed as true. Rumor or talk of a personal, sensational, or intimate nature. A person who habitually spreads intimate or private rumors or facts. Trivial, chatty talk, exaggeration, or fabrication of a story regarding somebody other than the talebearer in the absence of the person who is being discussed. Discussing information about the behavior and personal lives of other people. And what was the six-letter word? Gossip. It's a horrible word because it shrivels our spirits 
And do you know, I think we live in an age where the spirit of this age has got a lot of that in it. There is a lot of gossip. This next week, I, I, you know, have a go. Sit on the bus and listen to what people are talking about around you. Look on the magazine racks and see what the headlines are on a lot of the... Ma- you know, when my, I was a little girl, my mum used to get a women's magazine every week, and it was full of knitting patterns and recipes. And now it's full of gossip, actually. And that's what the titles are on a lot of these magazines. Listen, God doesn't want us to be like that with each other. He wants us to be powerful together, to help one another, to push one another on in God. It says in Romans 1.29, it's talking about people who are not walking with God. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, and gossip. It's in that list with murder, evil, wickedness, gossip. This is a serious thing. And I just want to appeal to you, uh, if you want that definition that I gave of what it is to gossip, I will gladly give it to you afterwards, but we don't want to be like that, do we? We don't want to be like that. We want to be people who encourage each other and lift each other up. So if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say anything at all if they're not there. If you're talking about someone that isn't there, make sure you only speak good of them and something that's encouraging to the, about that person's life. Because that's what brings glory to God. Okay, I won't carry on. But John Wesley put people out of his church for less than that. Um, So we want to love one another as Christ has loved us. Let's be different. Say to the person next to you, be different. So if you think someone's under attack and it's it's not your life but, uh, but someone else's, well, call them up higher. Encourage them. Don't join in with anything that's being said negatively about that person. Don't listen to chatter about them. And listen, you don't have to actively say something to be a gossip. You can just stand on the edges and not say the opposite and not come and speak something better. So you don't have to open your mouth to be a gossip, actually. You can just kind of stand there and kind of not say the opposite. Okay. So what was, the, what was that? Remember the power of partnership. Let's help each other. Let's help each other to have a great life in God and not come under the attack of a python spirit that wants to suffocate us. Number five. This is a don't. I couldn't think of a way of putting it as a do, but don't disconnect from pastoral protection. That's straight out of a book. I'm not speaking um, on our own behalf here at all. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow, because that would certainly not be for your benefit. Give your leaders reason to look after your life with joy to encourage you in God and give them reason to be pleased when you're coming up the drive to their house. (laughs) Don't avoid your pastors. Listen, we're not here to tell you off. We're here to encourage you in God. We're here to help you to grow in God and be more Christ-like. You don't need to avoid your pastors or disconnect from them. Now, a long time ago, I can tell you this story. It's before we were married. Um, it's always best to tell stories before we were married because then it doesn't implicate my husband. I think I was about 17 at the time. 
And uh, we went on this church holiday. If you've never gone on a church holiday, I think we should have one soon because you need the experience. Oh, you're going to the Lake District. Yes. Great. Those of you that are going to the Lake District. Well, we went on this church holiday and it was camping. It was in the New Forest. Clive's scratching his head to remember, but he can remember now. We were in the New Forest camping and there were a couple in our church who were very um, prominent in the youth ministry, I think I'll put it like that. They, they were leading in the youth ministry, but they were going through some circumstances in their lives where they really needed to have some time to seek God. And so Dave Richards, who some of you will know, was then sort of, um, I don't know where he was in it church-wise, but he was part of the leadership team in Salt and Light in England. And he said to all of us young people in the church at the time who had been connecting with this couple, can you give them space this holiday, please? Do not kind of pester them. Do not... Um, you know, hang out with them, give them space. They're here to seek God. Reasonable request, you might think. Well, one day I'm walking across the field and this couple's caravan is sort of here somewhere and I'm resolutely walking past. I'm not even looking. And the guy pops his head out the door and says, oh, come and have a cup of coffee. So I'm thinking, oh, this is tricky because Dave's told us not to and he's wanting me to come. So I said, oh, no, 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 thank you. Uh, you know, we, we want to give you some space. Oh no, we don't need space. We're 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 really lonely. We're missing everybody. We need to. We you know we're feeling terrible. We're feeling like you've cut us off. And he this he went on and on and on and on. And in the end, I found myself drawn into this caravan, sitting down with a cup of coffee in my hand. And of course, you can imagine what happens. I look out the window, and on the edge of my field of view is Dave Richards walking across the field. So I'm thinking, oh, I can't, what am I going to do? And so I sat there hoping the moment would pass and he's coming nearer and nearer. So I kind of slumped down in my seat and then there's a knock on the door of the caravan. I think, oh no, he's actually outside the caravan. So I don't know what you would have done at this moment because I was feeling very kind of convicted that I hadn't done what he'd asked of us. So I did the only thing I could think to do and I lay down on the floor. So Dave Richards opens the door, and I'm lying on the floor looking up at him. <laughs> oh, dear. It was not a good moment. Not one of my finest moments. Um, but listen, you don't have to lie on the floor and hide when you see your pastors and leaders coming. It's not like that, all right? I'm sure Dave Richards probably thinks of that every time he sees me, even though I'm quite grown up now almost. But anyway, there you go. We <laughs> listen, here's the thing. It's God who sees everything. God sees what we do. We can't fool God. You might be able to lie on the floor and hope your pastor walks past and doesn't see you when you're somewhere that you really would rather he didn't see you. But God sees. Okay. So remember who made you. Remember your time and place of prayer. Remember the place of power Remember the power of partnership and don't disconnect from pastoral protection in your life. And finally, I want to say this. There is a power in the atmosphere that you surround yourself with. Atmosphere is really important. And the kind of atmosphere you choose to be in or create around your life is really, really vital. Certain atmospheres will make you vulnerable to a spiritual attack in the first place. They won't help you to win through. Now, tell me this. Where are you most likely to find yourself falling into sin? Sitting in the library at the university or down in the nightclub? 
and someone's going to be clever and think of some opportunity to get up to mischief in the library, I'm sure of it. But listen, you know what I'm saying. Certain places, you're probably not even going to feel your life coming under pressure. And other places that you can put yourself in by choice, other circumstances and situations that you let yourself be led into are going to make you vulnerable. When Paul and Silas declared war on this slave girl and they cast the spirit out of her, they had a really tough time. They were beaten up, thrown into prison, put in stocks. We said last week they must have thought, whatever is that about? I was, we were doing the right thing. And this is what has happened to us. But their response was to pray and praise. They created an amazing atmosphere in that prison where they found themselves. It says... Uh, in another version, they were singing robust hymns. I wish they'd left us a book of all the hymns that they sang in the book of Acts. It would be fantastic. I don't know what a robust hymn would have been like. I suspect it would have been the sort that Steve Thomas would sing or something like that, or maybe Steve Foreman, you know, a robust hymn full of the word of God, full of life with lots of passion and volume. And Paul and Silas were praying and praising with robust hymns. And at midnight, this earthquake came and the, the prison was shaken and all the doors flew open. Now, the python spirit is devoted to trying to squeeze the spiritual life out of you. It wants to stop you breathing in the presence of God. And it wants to rob you, steal from you, and destroy you. And to repel it, you need to get yourself into an atmosphere that encourages the presence of God. You need to do those five things I've taught you about. And you need to breathe the right stuff. Put on some worship music. Read the Bible. Read it aloud if you need to. It's always good to say something out loud and put it on your lips. Pray, sing, get with other Christians. Get around to someone else's house and say, can you pray with me? I'm feeling terrible this week. Please just encourage me. Read some spiritual books. Choose to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Tell someone else about the love of Jesus. Whatever it is that will get you back into a great atmosphere of the presence of God, that's what you need to do. Now, when Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, you remember the walls were broken down. But that wasn't the only trouble that he faced. If it had just been rebuilding the walls, that would have been enough. But this is what it says in chapter 13. At about the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. The language of Judah is the language of the people of God. And so these people are in Jerusalem, the walls are broken down, and their children are not able to speak the language of the people of God. They're speaking other languages. Now, if you are bringing up a family, or you bring, maybe you're going to bring up a family in the future, you need to speak a spiritual language to them. You need to speak to them with the things of God. You need to bring them up in that kind of atmosphere, the atmosphere of the word of God, of prayer, of praise, of faith. Don't have a family where your children can't speak God's language. You, you understand what I'm saying by that? Take the responsibility to create a great atmosphere in your home. If you're living in a shared house now or even in a home uh, with your parents or, or whatever, you can take the responsibility to create a great atmosphere. How we are at home really matters. Our son, Richard, um, some of you know, got married last year. He married a girl from Colombia called Manuela. So she speaks Spanish. He speaks English. And when he was um, 
courting her. We had a family holiday together. Not uh, Manuela couldn't come, but we were together. And uh, we were all getting up nice and late and having a lovely time. Richard was getting up at 6 o'clock every morning and learning his Spanish grammar and uh, really investing in being able to speak Spanish because he was uh, courting Manuela. And she speaks English already because she spent time in America. So in their home, they can speak English and Spanish. And now they've had a little baby, baby Noah. What do you think they're going to speak to Noah? Spanglish. <laughs> Geordie, Spanish. I'm having some very interesting suggestions here. They're going to speak both. How, wouldn't it be silly, with the ability to speak Spanish and English in that home fluently, to not teach that little baby to speak both? And when we're fam parents, we, have to, we can't just speak the language of our age. We can't just speak the same as everybody else around us. Or if you're married, or whatever it is, whatever, whatever family circumstance you're in, we need to speak the language of God, the language of the Spirit, the things of God, as well as the language of this age. Okay? Now, your children, if you have children, this is, I'm sorry to shock you by saying this, but your children will not grow up Christian just because you bring them to church for an hour every Sunday, or two hours, or three hours. No, sorry. <laughs> they won't. Don't fool yourself. What happens in your house is way more important. And uh, I read a book this year about the, some of the problems that the American church is facing. And one of them is that a lot of children who were brought up with Christian parents are not uh, giving their lives to God and following God themselves. So it's not just that the church isn't winning people. They're not keeping the children that were born to parents in the church. And one of the reasons that's happening is because the children see a disconnect between what their parents say on Sunday in church and how they live the rest of the week. So I'm not saying that's always the reason why children don't grow up to follow God, but it's certainly you want to do something about it if you can. You don't want to set yourself up for that. So make sure that you set the right atmosphere in your home and family. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things and talk about them. Amen? That's all I really want to say. I just wanted to give you those things that you can do when you feel that your life is coming under a spiritual attack. So the first thing to do is to wake up, see what's happening, and then begin to walk some of those things that I've told you about this morning. I did um, actually Google um, what you should do if you came across a python, you know, what should you do? In the, if you, just as yours are sort of, mind you, if there's eight million of them, of these reptiles and snakes as pets in the UK, you know, maybe it's not as silly as it sounds. But this was the number one piece of advice if you come across a python. Keep your distance. How was it? Keep your distance. Remember we said last week, if you're thinking of keep, keeping one as a pet, the thing you need to know is they can kill you. But God wants to breathe his life into your life. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to be more like Jesus, filled with his presence, filled with his spirit, walking in his power, and loving him more and more. Amen? Amen.